welcome to episode 55 of the J Bunny's Music Hub podcast. I'm your host, J Bunny. Well, everybody, for this episode of the show, I think this is the most people I have ever had in an interview at one time. I um, mean, I've had other interviews with like band members sitting in and not really saying anything, but but for this one, I have uh, Kevin Snell and Ian Omega from Chemical Straightjacket. Uh, Mistress Misha and Trace, a.k.a. Craig Niebuhr from Handsome Abominations, and John Bechtel, producer for these bands, and Sandy Traker, who is uh, someone who helped Chemical Straightjacket develop the relationship that they have with John Bechtel. So, and everybody had, had, uh, had input on this interview. It was fantastic. It was such a great time. It was... Uh, very informative in 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 certain ways. Uh, we got a whole section uh, uh, of John Bechtel describing and defining what uh, industrial music is supposed to be. It was great. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Without further ado, here's everybody. All right, what's up, everybody? It is Jay Bunny, and for the first time since 2019, I am not on Skype. I am still drinking beer from Ghost Talk Brewery because it's fucking fantastic, and you should check it out. But I am at Chemical Straightjacket headquarters with Kevin Snell and Ian Omega of Chemical Straightjacket, their producer, John Bechtel, and also uh, Craig Niebuhr, a.k.a. Trace, who has uh, contributed some material to the new Chemical Straightjacket album. How's it going, everybody? It's great. Hey, yeah, what's up? All good. All right, so, Kevin, I, I want to say first I that I cannot believe that it's taken us this long to get here because... We had, I had initially reached out to you, first communicated with you about being on the podcast about two years ago through Facebook uh, because you had made a Facebook post about how um, you had had an interview scheduled with someone else and they decided they didn't want to do it because you guys were too, your Facebook post said apparently we're too controversial and people don't want to interview us. And I reached out and said, oh, I'll do it. So what was that about, first and foremost? Yeah, it's funny. I actually forgot about that. They're, they're, um... We're controversial? You know what it was? It was that we weren't um, uh, extremely PC, um, and I'd made some comments on Facebook. Nothing uh, terribly uh, off of center, but actually, actually very center. Right, right. And, and that was, uh, you know, uh, the misogynist term got thrown around, and then the person canceled the interview because of our lyrics and my refusal to capitulate to the uh, modern... Uh, thinking of um, I, I just, you know what, we're dudes. Yeah. I write dude shit. And I wasn't going to change anything. So uh, that that interview got canceled. That's what that was. I totally forgot about that, actually, until just now. But, okay. Yeah. All right. And so I had actually first become aware of the band in 2018 when I saw you guys open for Orgy at the Stanhope House. Oh, um, cool. As far as I know from your Facebook post, Chemical Straightjacket was not your first band. Can you tell me about your journey in music prior to Chemical Straightjacket? It's very brief. Um, when I was in high school, um, I, uh, you know, I played um, keyboards uh, for a couple years, had lessons, played bass guitar for a couple years, had lessons on that. Got my first synth. It was an Ansonic SQ-1 um, when I was a freshman in college, and that's when, uh, for me, what I called the second wave of industrial was breaking. Skinny Puppy, Nitzareb, all that type of stuff. And I had previously loved synth music, which is why I got into playing synth. Um, I, I was into Depeche Mode and New Order and that type of stuff, but then when I heard what Puppy was doing and they were making synth music evil, 
it really excited me. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, because I was never really a metal guy, but I liked darkness. And now I knew that, you know, playing my my chosen instrument of um, keyboards, I could make dark music. Right, because right. Skinny Puppy's doing it, and it's fucking brilliant, you know. And then I, I transitioned from synth pop because I was a huge fan of uh, With Sympathy by Ministry. And uh, then when... Um, uh, Twitch came out and Rape and Honey and it just I, I saw all these people taking synth music and making it just fucking evil. It was so exciting. So yeah, I bought an Insonic SQ1 when I was in Rutgers. I was a freshman. I called home, which was Mike Caroli and Chris Padula, which were two of my friends from high school. They were younger than me, so they were still back home. And I was at Rutgers and I called them and I said, I just spent $1,200 that I don't have. I put it on a credit card, but I can sequence, I can sample. I'm making drum beats, because um, Chris was a vocalist and he wrote, wrote poetry, and Mike was a guitarist, and they were the only people I knew that played music besides me. All right. So I called them, I said, uh, can we form a band? And they're like, yes. So I would come home on weekends, and um, that's how Point One Molar, which is the worst name in music history, <laughs> uh, um, took, uh, took place. We played for about two years, we made a cassette, um, we recorded six songs that we put onto a CD, even though it was a homemade CD. But we played a lot of shows. We played Manhattan and uh, Locked Down by Rutgers, of course, because that was my home. So now they, the next year, go off to college. One goes to Yukon, the other one goes to Rhode Island, and that was the end of the band. From that point forward, I never played music again. Oh, wow. They continued to play music. Mike was in indie rock bands. Chris was moved to Manhattan to be in a band. And uh, they did a lot of shoegaze type stuff. They got away from the industrial stuff. I continued to listen to industrial music, but I stopped playing. I mean, I had a keyboard. Like when we met 10 years ago, I, I would you know mess around on my computer, but never anything serious until I uh, re reconnected with Mike which would have been in 2017. Mike's band was playing a show, and I, I hadn't seen him in probably 20, 25 years. And we went to the show down at Dingbats. Okay. And, uh, Love that place. Yeah, it's a great place. And, you know, they did a really good job, and afterwards we had some beers, and we it was like no time had passed. It was like, oh, my God, I miss you, and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I guess I can say this. They won't hear it. He was like, I'm sick of working with these idiots in my band. <laughs> he was like, I'm burnt out. He was like, let's do it again. And I was like, do what again? He was like industrial and i was like dude i haven't touched a fucking keyboard in like 25 years <laughs> and uh there's an hour drive back to branchville and the whole time i was just thinking like i want to do this you know i've got a lot to learn i, I got to uh you know get up to date you know because an sonic sq1 isn't going to cut it now you know i have to learn computer stuff and so yeah i bought uh i bought reasons propeller head which is a great program it's what i use for all of our music and i just started writing some tracks and that was it i sent them to mike and he was like holy shit yeah like let's do this so. okay and then and then ian what about you i'm familiar with your name from uh, having worked with uh, chris zacker in the past so what about your journey in music leading up to this band well i kind of grew up playing drums local cover bands and original bands and punk rock bands, alternative bands, pretty much tried a little bit of everything over the years. He played a little bit in a country band for a while. I just like play, being versatile and I was always trying to do something else. I've been in a bunch of different groups. The one that you speak of is the Omega Men. I kind of stole the name. <laughs> uh, it kind of worked. That was the, I was still in that band actually when I joined Chemical Straightjacket. I was playing in both bands for a while uh, until the passing of our bass player uh, and the Omega Men. Yeah, and then, you know, I just... Uh, discovered K 
Kevin and the guys from a uh, Facebook post, a little uh, explosive Facebook post. Which is so rare for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, happens. it happens. Fighting on Facebook, Ian? No. Uh, I've toned it down a bit. <laughs> so I feel like there's a story to that. Can we can we get into that a little bit, the, the, the Facebook post? Um, basically, there's a uh, local music page on Facebook, local group rock and roll sussex county something like that and uh i was looking for something to do on a friday night and there was really no bands that i wanted to see playing anywhere you know everywhere i looked it was either acoustic performers or jam bands you know that just keep going on and on and on and on and on for 30 minutes on one song you know and there was no there was no rock and roll anymore there was no you know like heavy metal there was no punk bands there was no you know, not, nothing with a pulse. So I was, I put up this post on this site, you know, like, where is all of this? It's a Friday night, I'm bored as hell, where where are all the rock bands anymore? And a few people chimed in, and I don't know, maybe my responses to a few might not have been the uh, most tactful, shall we say. <laughs> and, and in the meantime, I'm watching this thread. I don't say a word, I'm just watching and I'm going, this guy's a fucking lunatic. Because <laughs> he's part of this, kind of part of the scene, you know, and he's burning it down. It's scorched earth. You all suck. <laughs> I, if I hear another Van Halen cover, I'm going to fucking slit my throat. <laughs> and then, not to, not to hijack this, but yeah. then this one guy posts, well, here's my oh, band, no. we're different, and we're from Sussex County, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, because I know he's listening to the song. I and about three chance. and a half minutes later, he posts, you're exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> wow. it, was, it was like jam band, you know, and it was exactly what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, you were like, exact, you are exactly the problem. It was the exact generic, watered down, I, I don't know, like hipster's version of rock that... You know, it makes me sick. It's just like it's. it's, it's so I'm sitting on a computer. So it's like watching, uh, you know, a, a train wreck. You know? yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't wait to see what he says next. <laughs> we don't even know each other. I'm just watching, and, and then I, I, I'm I'm saying to myself, I like this guy. <laughs> like, this is fucking cool because I feel the same way. You can go to any bar, and this is no diss to anybody in our community because no, they're all talented. They're really, it's not a matter really of talent. Fucking talented. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. But you, yeah, you can hear Wagon Wheel at any given time in any bar in Sussex County on any night. Yeah, and it is the same stuff, and there's just not much original stuff. So I'm watching this guy, and he's just ripping these people apart, and I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. So I said, well, what about this? And I posted the video for Dress to Kill. And uh, instantly, well, three and a half minutes later, <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. He's going to be like, yeah, you fucking suck too. <laughs> but he's like, holy shit, who, who is this? And I'm like, I'm Kevin. He's like, this is in Branchville? I'm like, yeah. He's like, holy shit, this is exactly what I'm looking for. You know, I love KMFDM. Like, how do I, I not love know blah, 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 you blah. in Branchville? Yeah. You, you live 10 minutes from me and how do I not know you? <laughs> So that was it. We struck up a conversation, and he uh, he came over. I had to talk to Mike, of course, but I always wanted a percussionist in the band. I wanted to make it a bigger band, not just a two-piece, which it was at the time. Uh -huh. And um, the, the big test was we had a... I said, come over at 7 o'clock, and we'll just hang out and talk music, you know? And he showed up at uh, 6.59, and that, for me, meant a lot. Because <laughs> you know how I am. Right, right. He's like, he's yeah, not late! I know you're That's big awesome. on punctuality. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it turned out that we've been into like a million shows 
at the same time, yeah, yeah. at the same places, and we just didn't know it. And we had a lot of uh, similar likes, and uh, it just worked out great. Took a little tweaking, of course, you know. He, he brought over his drums, he set up the bass drum, and then... Yeah, and regular drum set. Regular drum Started set. Started out with a regular drum set. And we, we ran through a couple songs, and I was like, wow, yeah. this sounds like rock and roll. Yeah, like, neither one of us We lost the work. industrial edge, so we uh, created this uh, hybrid kit, and uh, I said, can you play standing up? He's like, I've never done it. I said, okay, <laughs> try it. And, you know, so we kind of developed this stage presence, and uh, it, it's worked great. All right, awesome. And and then what does the band's name mean? I know that when we hung out last, one of the guys from the band Centrifuge had interpreted the band name to be a metaphor for drug addiction. Well, a chemical straitjacket is, uh, you know, I'm a pharmacist, and it's one of the things that we learned in pharmacy school. It is a, an actual term for um, incapacitating someone who is in a state of frenzy. Okay. Okay, so uh, it's very common in mental uh, institutions, hospitals that take care of the mentally ill. When someone is in a manic phase, you administer a chemical straitjacket. Okay. And what that is, it's a combination of Haldol and diazepam. and Basically, you're just, you're turning their brain off. Okay. And I remember back in uh, Rutgers, uh, when we were studying chemical straitjackets, I had said to Scott Lockman, who is also in the band, if I'm ever in another band, I'm going to name it chemical straitjacket. Okay. Thir- 35 years went by, and, <laughs> and then I got my opportunity. But the name was already taken. Um, we did an internet search, and there was like some dude down in Georgia playing, you know, very simple metal, and uh, he had the name already taken. So we, I, I, I didn't want to give it up. Right. So we just changed it. We dropped the vowels and threw the eight in there, and uh, made it look more industrial and harsh. And I was like, yeah, that's it. All right, we're chemical straitjacket. Little did we know Alexa would never recognize right. <laughs> our still, name anymore. And he still picks up a few of our fans because of it. Oh, I'm sure he does. <laughs> <laughs> but you say Alexa play... <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. And I, well, I mean, you've kind of already explained it, but I always, I, I've always wanted to ask you if you had some sort of innate hatred for vowels because there's no vowels in your band name. There's no vowels in any of your album titles. Fuck vowels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Vowels are soft. They're, they're for pussies. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. Consonants are tough. Vowels are for pussies. That's right. Okay, and then so after releasing your first album and remix album, you signed with Cleopatra Records. How did that come about? I got a hateful email from a local DJ who was trying to tell me how, how I should be doing things, and uh, he, he warned me, you're not fit for any labels. So, of course, the next thing I did was shop for a label with a vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's a very brief version. Um, the long version is through who became our friend through Instagram, Sandy. Um, she introduced us to, to John Bechtel from Ministry. And he agreed to uh, work with us. And when we uh, came up with the song Bomb Cyclone and we made a video for it, I felt that that was strong enough and I thought we were ready. And I started sending that video to the only two labels that I cared about, which were Metropolis and Cleopatra. And uh, silence, of course, you know, nobody responded. And finally, I, I would send it by email, I would send it by um, instant messenger, I would post it on Facebook, because I didn't want to release the album, because I felt it was good enough to be signed, so I kept holding back from releasing the album. And then finally, one day, I'm at work and I get an instant message from the vice president of Cleopatra saying, wow, this is really fucking good. And that was the second time I fell down at work. Um, <laughs> the first time was when you called. <laughs> so that was it. He, he liked it and he said, you know, we want to sign you and uh, the rest is history. 
And then your most recent album, Dark Progression, was released on February 12th. How does this compare to your previous releases? Is there anything there that might surprise fans of the band? I don't know that there are surprises other than what I hear from every review is that it's next level. It's it's bigger, it's more powerful, the hooks are more hooky. Well, let's ask our producer. What do you think? What's the yeah, difference? Well, I mean, I agree, but at the same time, I don't want to take anything away from Wretched Things because although, like you said, it might have been more work, the end result was very strong and representative uh, of the sound of the band and also do uh, a lot of you know respect and credit for everyone all around and i think it's a natural pro progression from the two records um, but yes no doubt the songwriting and uh, structuring was more developed more refined and some of the behind the scenes stuff like you know just the way you organized and gave me the tracks made my job easier and um, and we learned a lot like, like you hopefully do um, from one thing to the next and uh, some of the things that that I did on Wretched Things um, Kevin took care of you know ahead of time and uh, gave me much more comprehensive um, organized stems you know I mean the production work was similar but it wasn't as much work and didn't take as long I think we worked more quickly and we had gotten a better feel for for each other and, and how we work together and, and um, you know I would send you a track often and you were like bingo you know yeah there were a lot uh, that a couple, first yeah um, and first the, and, edit I was like yep that's it and the other ones were really minor things um, whereas often you know you know everybody's got to have a say like I want the bass <laughs> louder or I want this or I want that or this well this band is I want the guitar louder <laughs> <laughs> well, most bands it is, yeah. Right. And, Love uh, you, Mike. Uh, <laughs> and um, and that's a common, very common thing. And as a producer, you know, you kind of learn that uh, once you do that, then everything else disappears. You know, so it becomes a trade-off. So yeah, once you bring, you know, let's say the vocals up, then the music isn't as loud. And once you bring the bass up, then the drums get lost. So um, right. so yeah, uh, that's something that a producer has to, to, to grapple with. And, and with multiple people in a band, sometimes it can become a real power struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we, we didn't have those difficulties at all. And they really trusted me and gave me a lot of room to, to work in, which I, I appreciated. And, 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 and in return, um, you know, worked really hard to make sure that, you know, that I, you know, if I did do something that it was good and that uh, and that it was you know not just like some producers I think you know they have this idea that well they want to put their name all over it they want to put their you know their style all over it and so they, they might you know totally manipulate or change a whole band's sound just out of like maybe ego or you know I want to make it sound like everything else that I produce or something like that I don't work that way for me I want to first you know have to hear what they're doing and I and I try to understand you know what they're trying to do and then I you know ask myself you know you know what can I offer what can I bring to the table and um, you know how can I improve it how can I make it better and, and uh, uh, one of the uh, major job of a producer is to make something hopefully more accessible um, to more people. You know, not in a sellout kind of way, but but uh, you also have to understand, you know, that music will be listened to on various systems, car stereos, um, Phones, you know, yeah. like a boombox yeah. or a phone or earbuds or whatever. And so you really have to to learn a lot about that, you know, because I used to mix all bass heavy, like yeah, rock and 
girl, you know, and then you put it on something and it's like, because yeah, it everybody already off. has yeah. Yeah. the bass cranked up, you know, so, and then like, let's say little speakers, you know, it might start distorting because they just can't handle. So yeah, I think... Uh, it's a juggling act. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, I think uh, Dark Progression so far has sounded really good on, on no matter what you play it on which is something people don't really think about when I think about what a producer does. Some people might not even really know what a producer does. And we talked earlier about how um, sometimes there's, well, I mean, there are two different styles of production. Some producers are visionaries. They might not even know the first thing about a mixing desk or how to play an instrument. Other producers are often musicians who are in bands right. that understand uh, everything about you know, how a record is made and, and, and because there's engineers who do a lot of the technical work. So a producer might often just sit there and say, you know, do this or do that or make it sound spongy or make it, you know, <laughs> just like, and, um, well, Rick Rubin, for instance, um, I mean, I don't know that much about him, but I do know this, that, um, you know, as he became more famous, uh, he became really less uh, involved in the work because I've, I've heard the, that. <laughs> yeah, just he just had people do it, and uh, he would pop his head in once in a while and go, "Yep, yeah, sounds good," you know. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, to me, that was kind of like, you know, like maybe not fair. I know Slipknot did it better. They're upset. They're like, "We paid him all this money. The guy showed up twice." You know. Yeah. I, right. Right. You know. Yeah, that's not also, you. You're very involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, you delve into uh, the songs. Yeah, and I grew considerably uh, as a producer working on these albums. I'm not afraid to admit, you know, I think that's great, you know. I look back now at some of the stuff that I'm working on and, and utilizing a lot of the skills and, and techniques that I learned and developed um, working with these guys, which I think is, is great. It's a real art and a science, mixing and producing. I mean, they're two different things, really, but often they get lumped together where the producer is also the mixer, but not, not always. Uh, we mentioned earlier Trevor Horn, one of my favorite producers, and I always thought his stuff always sounded so great, and you know you just knew his production, and just assumed he was a master of his craft. And I saw an interview with him recently, where he was like, oh, I just worked with the best engineers, and always worked with the, the, the same engineers, and therefore, you know, but yeah, he's like, hm, I don't know how to mix. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> The, um, the, the only uh, other two quick things I'll add about Dark Progression is uh, the two differences for me as the primary songwriter were that, number one, I said fuck genres. I didn't care uh, about, you know, this song sounds metal, this song sounds industrial. This, I didn't care about any of that, and I knew that we, we had a good, good foothold in the industrial scene. And I knew that some of the uh, DJs that loved us would probably not love this album because it's okay. much more rock it's yeah. much more metal it's got some punk in there and it's it's less industrial which is not really true because it's i mean we, we sampled very industrial. it's very industrial very we, we, industrial we sampled a guy using a car jack and we sampled <laughs> right here yeah right here um you know uh an air compressor and i mean it's a very industrial Ratchets. album <laughs> it just doesn't fit the um current modern trend of industrial okay well, which is mostly agrotech and that yeah of it's gotten ridiculous now what we, we, we have been discussing um this weekend sadly uh is that industrial fans can be real snobs well i mean let's go back let's say al jorgensen produced rabies by a skinny puppy right right and you know, they added guitars like that kind a lot of, of metal. Guitar that you album, know, which kind of, was different. If you're going to have Al Jorgensen right, produce right. your record, That's you better age. be prepared. You know, right. but but he said that was one of the most difficult 
records he produced because, uh, well, Ogre wasn't really much, uh, he really had very little to do with the music and the production of any or any of that kind of stuff, which he often resented. But Dwayne and Kevin would stand behind the desk, arms folded while Al mixed, and he was just like, you know, these guys just like staring at him like, you know. <laughs> right. uh, You're yeah. writing guitar yeah, to right, our exactly. <laughs> and uh, and the fans, a lot of them, not my, not myself. Uh, I loved it, uh, I but did too. a lot of the Skinny Puppy fans were like, "This isn't Skinny Puppy. There's guitars, you know." And that right. carried through, and you know, to '90s industrial, where it just seemed like if you use guitars, uh, they're like, "Oh, you're not really industrial." Yeah, there there <laughs> is that, there's definitely that snobbery. There. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know how. There, there's a lot of uh, I call them the purists. Yeah. And there, there's that snobbery, and I just said, "Fuck it" on this album. Well, how is it that Nine Inch Nails can use guitars? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, I see a lot of. Could people, it be that they're not industrial? I see a lot of people <laughs> in that circle refuse to admit that Nine Inch Nails is an yeah. industrial band. Oh, there you have oh it. no, so, they're not an industrial uh, band. It's well, like, how are they not an industrial there, band? There, there you have it. Yeah. Well, I mean, one could argue, and then, then we can get into the whole discussion of what is industrial because right. even sure. Al sure. Yeah. hates getting into that conversation he doesn't really like that that word and in the 90s it like when, when industrial music peaked it was like everybody wanted to be industrial so like even an emo band in an interview yeah. would be like oh yeah we're kind of industrial you know? <laughs> yeah. well i mean i think we're industrial because the the demos the the basic bone structure of our songs are done on synths and we sample and I mean, there there is a uh, very digital and uh, not artificial, but uh, mechanical sound yes. behind yeah, all I, of I our songs. I think that's a key word. And uh, I'm listening to some of this new industrial dance music, and I'm like, where's the industrial? I mean, this is just <laughs> yeah. like techno or disco. You right, know? or goth, um, really. Yeah, not. you might be dressed up like some hot topic kind of person, mm -hmm. you know, like... With all the latest, you know, with the, the dreadlocks and the goggles and blah, blah, blah. But you're, this isn't, industri there's nothing industrial about what I'm listening to. But hey, who am I to judge? But if right. you really want to talk about it, uh, what I could say from my knowledge is industrial music really dates back to the 30s. There was an Italian movement called, I don't know the Italian, I don't speak Italian, but uh, it translated as the art of noise. Mm, okay. which is where the Art of Noise got their name. You know, that they didn't use the term industrial, but they did recognize the, the musical elements uh, in some of the modern sounds that they were hearing in a mechanized society. So, yeah, we could really, you know, date it back much further. Most people say uh, Throbbing Gristle coined the phrase industrial music, which uh, is fair to say, and uh, they'll tell you uh, that that's because they lived in a rough part of town, the only place they could really afford to live, and it was right by the train station and a factory, and so... Right, so they would hear um, all these noises. Yeah, and so, so they were literally surrounded by a cacophony of, 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 of mechanical sounds and and they decided to embrace it and then try to incorporate it into their music then like i said cabaret voltaire you know was pretty experimental in their early days they got a little bit more kind of um, electronic and danceable uh, in the 80s and then a band called spk an australian 
and a guy named Graham Ravel, who went on to be, you know, a big L.A. Uh, soundtrack producer at one point, and Einsteins and Neubauten. You know, I mean, when sure. I first saw uh, their record cover with like with these like jackhammers and everything, like all shopping laid carts. Out. First time I saw yeah. that, yeah. they actually had a shopping cart. Like, like how people can do this? Yeah. Now that's industrial. That's, that's music. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great So Bro- then, broke every rule. Every um, rule. Seemed like a lot of those bands were getting, like I said, more electronic, even S. PK and um, Throbbing Gristle, you know, too, you know, did some more electronic kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. it seemed like that industrial thing had died out. Although, you know, bands like Front 242 and Skinny Puppy did emerge out of that, you mm-hmm. know, like 82, 83 era. I didn't hear about it. I remember seeing the 242 record cover, but not really knowing much about it. And it wasn't until like maybe more mid-80s that I started seeing people wearing Skinny Puppy t-shirts. I'm like, what's all this about? Mm-hmm. And started going into clubs and I was hearing Ministry, Nitzarev, uh, and 242, and, and discovering all these bands. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Some At one point, I thought maybe Nitzarev was like Cabaret Voltaire at one point, but uh, I realized that they were what I call second generation uh, industrial because yeah, they were clearly influenced by these same bands that, that, that I'm talking about. And, mm-hmm. and then Nine Inch Nails, you know, came along too, and you could hear all those elements. And it was almost like a renaissance mm-hmm. of industrial music. And then, you know, uh, yeah, Ministry, Nine Inch Nails, you know, Peaking the charts and uh, industrial music was mainstream, yep. and then everybody wanted to be industrial. And like I said, it, that 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 term got thrown around quite loosely. And then as it waned, you know, while well, grunge came along, and then um, this new metal, and and uh, by the early 2000s, people could care less about like industrial music. Mm-hmm. Think, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about the good old days and KMFDM and and uh, and when I started up False Icons, I was thinking like, yeah, probably not the best time to try to start up an industrial <laughs> band. Well, the, the ironic thing is with this album, um, <laughs> full circle now. Though. Yeah, things things do. Yeah, uh, cycles uh, definitely. Yes. But yeah, that, the two things with this album is that we we said fuck genres. Yeah. And we're just going to, whatever comes out of it, comes out of it. And whatever people want to classify as. And that's one of the things I actually had somebody ask me, well, how do we classify you? I said, how do you classify killing Joe? <laughs> they're like, I don't know. I said, okay, I don't know either. And I'm like, <laughs> nice. I, I don't care about the, the label like it's put on us. And the other thing that we did that was very different for this album is I really, again, as the primary songwriter, I focused on hooks. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I realized that the things that I love about songs are the sing along parts, the parts that you know, I, I love Tom Petty. I mean I love rock and roll, and I I, 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 I was really immersed in Tom Petty, and I uh, watched a five hour documentary about his life. Wow. And when him and uh, Mike Campbell would sit down to write a song, they would always say to each other, "Remember our mantra: Don't bore us, get to the chorus." And they would repeat that to each other before they wrote a song because they knew it was about the hook. It was about something that somebody can listen to and want to chant along or scream along or whatever. So I really, as a songwriter, I did make a conscious effort on this album much more to focus on the hooks. And I knew that, you know, some people think that is uh, trying to get commercial. But no, I, I 
I want to see people sing my songs. Well, let's face <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, uh, there's so much music now, and um, yeah, we went from having, say, rock and metal and country, you know, to having genres, um, and, you know, industrial and alternative and new way. And then we had subgenres, and then now we have uh, niches and micro niches and. And the problem with that is that it, it limits you, you know. And I start hole. hearing Pitching this music and it all yeah, sounds the same, you know. Mm-hmm. Agrotech, it's like, oh, well, then, you know, once you're going down that path, then you have to follow this formula and you can't really, like I said, use guitars or yeah. you can't, you know, sing too loud or you can't be happy or you can't be melodic and, and, and they all sound the same. And to me, you know, my, my uh, statement to that is, you know, there's a million bands that sound like that. You know, do we really need a million and one? Right. And if you're going to write an album, one of the things I always loved about albums was like you go, you pull any old Cure album out, right? And um, it could go from the most morose, angry, suicide-inducing song mm-hmm. to Friday I'm in Love. Yeah, happy, <laughs> uplift, and then back down again. And you know, it takes you on this emotional roller coaster, and the sounds. Although you can tell every song's the cure, it changes a lot, and it, it, it you know it, it shows you because what is your life, right? Your life is a series of emotions. It's not one. Yeah. And I don't ever want to make a, an album where every song sounds like the same, has the same emotion. So when Mike gives me a riff like Syrinx, you know, dun, 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 and I'm like, man, that's that's like death metal. Cool, we're gonna do that. Well, think about a, a novel. Um, right. You know, every chapter is not the same, exactly. like Groundhog Day or something. Yeah. There's perhaps battle scenes or wars or, you know, there might be parties and festivals mm-hmm. and um, journeys. Orgies. Um, yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah. Author. So, um, I often think about it that way, too. Or I think of um, uh, each song maybe telling a story or being a chapter in a book and then you put it all together, you know. Um, but uh, one thing I just can't stand is when you listen to a band and every song sounds the same. Right. It's almost like... Cookie you know, cutter. Yeah. And the problem is that if you want to be successful... You need you versatility. Want, and you want, well, I mean, no, actually, no. if you want to be successful and if you want to like, you know, fit you know, in and make money, that's really... That. Right, then you've got to really, fit the formula and I not know, sound that's different. Kind of, mm-hmm. And I think these bands yeah. sit around and listen to the radio and you're like, oh, this is what's popular, so we have to sound just like that. You, you were know? talking about that on the drive here. Um, yeah. And then there's a million bands all sounding just like that. And I remember at one point, uh, maybe in the mid-2000s, you know, listening to the radio, I was like, I couldn't differentiate the bands. Mm-hmm. Every band sounded the same. Yeah. 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 So is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, hey, you know, like Not sometimes really. being too original or too unique, you know, it's almost like shooting yourself in the foot. It's like, well, you don't fit in anywhere. You know, yeah, you can either go with the mainstream <laughs> or set it, and yeah, there's a yeah. fine line between. Yeah. But you know, just before I know you're, you yeah. want to get no, into no, the next no, question, no, no. but before we get onto that, the, the um, further thing that I'll say about that is that's why we kind of coined our own phrase, "outlaw industrial rock," because we felt like we didn't fit anywhere else. We had to like create a genre to. Yeah to capture what we are. Yeah, you know what, like, I think that... If you consider yourself any kind of artist, how can you have any desire to be categorized as a genre? Well, well that's what I was going to say, is, that, is yeah. that I think that some of my favorite bands have taken it upon themselves to decide what they are. Yeah. For example, 
band that I'm really, really into that I found through the Renaissance Fair is this acoustic pirate metal band called the Dread Crew of Oddwood. And they have, they have coined themselves their genre because they are heavy metal, but they are acoustic. So they are not heavy metal. They are heavy mahogany. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then, and then, and then, you know, there's a there's a rock band that that I'm that I'm pretty into that has decided that their their genre is rogue rock. You know. Okay. And we're outlaw industrial. Yeah. So, yeah. so like, you know, it Not seems like yeah. kind of flip it around. You know. Okay. You want a genre? We'll make a genre. Right. You know, right. Right. Rock. Actually, yeah. if you search Bandcamp mm-hmm. for outlaw industrial rock, mm-hmm. it's it's an actual genre on there now that Cleopatra created mm-hmm. before awesome. Chemical Straitjacket. Oh, we are the only. <laughs> album on the chart. We are number one. Well, look out because you know now there's going to be a thousand followers. <laughs> See, I wonder. I wonder now with with again going back to, to Dread Crew if there's yeah, any other heavy mahogany bands. <laughs> so you know, JB mentioned how every every you know song in an album is like a chapter in a book, and I'm not generally one to ask what does that song mean. But I do know that on the new Chemical Straitjacket album, you have the song "The Death of Lucille," and I know that there's a story behind that song, and I would love for you to tell it. That is an excellent question. All right, this this could get me in trouble at work, but uh, <laughs> the truth is that uh, at my pharmacy, um, we have a, char- a cast of characters who are very difficult customers, and Lucille was the most difficult I ever dealt with in my life. Mm. She was a miserable, odious, terrible, foul-tempered old woman. And she would call six times a day. And whoever she got, you're a fucking idiot. You're you're moron, blah, blah, blah. And you just... I got to the point where after like a year of this, mm. I I called my corporate office and I said, I need to ban this person from our pharmacy. Like, <laughs> I, I can't have her destroying the morale of my team every day. <laughs> every day spewing this, wow. this vitriol, Boy, this hatred. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I tried to be understanding. There were times that I actually brought her flowers. Uh, I would send my driver with a bouquet. You know, hey, wow. Lucille, hope your day is okay. Um, she could, For a while, she couldn't leave her house, and I went to her house, and I gave her the flu shot. I mean, I went above and beyond, but nothing, nothing worked. wasn't good enough. She was a complete misanthrope. Uh, to- total. Uh, one of these people that, and like the song says, devoid of joy, consumer of, you know, she eats the sun. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she swallowed hope. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so corporate, to, to their credit, backed me and sent her a letter saying that you can't go to any of our stores. Oh, wow. Seven stores that we own, she wasn't allowed to go to any of them. And a month later, she died. So I like to think that my dismissal of her played uh, a role in her death. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly sure it did. I think that her, her the, what she had left of a heart, I think I put the final crack into it. And I'm pretty sure that's why she died. But that day, we had cake. <laughs> and, and we wore hats and blue horns. And the next day... So I connected with Trace, um, and he, uh, he came over. It was a Sunday, I believe. And he had this track already written, and you know he he didn't know what I would do with it. He didn't know if it would be straight yeah. jacket or if we we're going to do something else. But I already uh, the day before I had sat in my car before work, and in five minutes I wrote the lyrics to Lucille, and I had the melody in my head. He comes over on a Sunday, and he starts dumping these tracks onto my computer, and I'm like, dude, watch this. I take the paper out, and I'm like, Lucille. Devoid of joy, Lucille. And it fit exactly what he gave me. Yeah. Wow. Now, he was picturing it as a techno song. Oh, yeah, no. <clears throat> I, I originally. Called it Lude Night or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to call it Lude Night. Just 
is I wanted to be about a night in the city going to clubs. Debauchery. Debaucherous, like, go back to the, the golden age, the early 90s at the limelight, where people were having sex in the bathrooms and doing lines of coke on the bar and shit. <laughs> and, um... You know, I sent him a little snippet via my cell phone, a little video clip. He's like, oh, dude, can you record that and send it to me? I'm like, all right, fine. And uh, I, I, I sent him, a, you know, the track, and he had taken it, put it on his computer, carved it up before I even brought over my entire rig over here. To, yeah, before to I even got the stems, I already yeah. had this little he snippet, and everything I'm dicing it up and laying it out. It out. <laughs> and I was... I was kind of taken back. I'm like, wow, I, I literally worked a few nights on this. And in a week, you know, he he took the baton, sprinted to the finish line, had lyrics, and, and he started the playback. And I was like, I was skeptical because he told me about the lyrical content. I'm like, that's not what I envisioned. But once he started <laughs> singing it together. And I'm, I'm, I'm praising I'm God for killing someone. Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing driving around New York City, like, with chicks in the fucking, you know, passenger seat. Like, hey, babe, let's go for a ride, you know, that shit. And um, he starts singing it. I'm like, dude, this fucking works. I'm like, I love it. I, I can't say no to this. It's it's just, wow, all right, let's, let's do this. And uh, we recorded everything and finalized it. He took it, added more stuff to it, some 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 killer drums, some some you know appreciated uh, synth work into it. And then I guess when he took it to the studio, JB added more stuff to it, and I mean the final outtake on it, I was like kind of taken back, like wow. Well, I even I, had to uh, some of your some of the synth sounds. Yeah, I believe they were they were FM like TX or something. Is it possible TX eighty one Z or something? No, I mean or? it's all rolling. In fact. Oh, um, oh. Some of the stuff I I remember he was saying like oh that sounds like a three hundred three it's like oh, it, it was my TB three you literally just took a note and then you sampled well and the problem I had was uh, that there was a lot of reverb on it and it was just clouding up the mix so okay. rather than and, and he said well I can't send you the stems without reverb because I recorded everything in you know yeah, I took it right off his hardware everything over here yeah and so. I didn't I didn't even put extra reverb okay. on it that well, was the funny thing some of the presets have it built in but anyway yeah. I mean uh, the, the I know the the JP8000 I think that was the one you actually questioned one. me about yes, that, was that has a whole lot of chorus built into okay. the patch all right well so uh, it was the 303 sounds because um, what I decided to do uh, was to re recreate them so you know yeah. I took a 303 sound and uh, matched it and, and, and figured out your notes and, and sequenced it. And, uh, and in some cases, you know, used a little bit of both. In other cases, you know, mine came out and, um, and was able to, to basically do, you know, what I was trying to do, which was to get rid of some of that ambience um, and have the sound cut through, but at the same time, you know, you know, not changing anything about the music. I mean, that's, you know, I think what a real good producer, you know. Yeah, yeah and it, it came out great, and, I, you know, I thank you for the work that you put into it. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, I showed you a couple there times. There are a few people who have said already within a week of release that that is their favorite track. Mm. I know Ian's a big it's, fan of that it, track. It, it's, you know, kind of become one of my favorite tracks, if not my favorite track, right for the moment. You know, <laughs> I, I keep bouncing back and forth. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I've been really enjoying that one. Yeah, that, and that that is actually a great snapshot of what the difference is on this album. Dark progression is I opened it up and I brought in anything that we thought of, and, and you know what? Another big difference is is Ian actually. Um, Ian was uh, our percussionist on Wretched Things. He really didn't. Well, I didn't invite him to participate in the creation of the album on this album. 
he uh, got very involved in arrangements because I realized, I started to slowly realize this guy really knows music. So I'd be down here, you know, drinking and working on a song. Ian would pop over and seven hours go by and <laughs> we rearranged it. He's adding uh, backing vocals, which your backing vocals on this album are amazing. Last song? Oh, Somber Town. Somber Town, yes. <laughs> you're, you're screaming in Somber Town is, is insanely good. I, I remember standing right there doing that. Yes. <laughs> and then the next day, you couldn't talk. Yeah. yeah. But, um, no voice. You, you added a really, really nice element to this album. It gave it a whole other uh, vibe. Bringing in Trace as a co-writer on one song. Brian Fitzpatrick as a co-writer on one uh, song. Bringing in John Gaetcher to add slide guitar. Chosen um, one. I mean, I... Chosen One, co-written by JB. He did all the music on Chosen One. Yeah, I just wrote the lyrics and sang it. My all-time favorite oh, really? on the album, yeah. I'll oh, be honest, you. that and Texas. Well, that was cops. a song that I had written just to crank out some ideas, potentially for ministry, but if they weren't going to make it into a ministry, then they might be false icons. But at the same time, um, something, and there was like 20 or 30 uh, basic ideas that I threw together. And that particular one just jumped out at me. as like, you know, this could work as a Chemical Street Jacket song. Yeah. And I remember I was here. Yes, when let, I, let me interject okay. because again, as as fanboy, um, <laughs> and and uh, you know, um, uh, up till recently, not very uh, well developed songwriter. Um, I have our producer over, and you know, we're friends, and we're we're having a. I think it was a pool party mm -hmm. that day, and then the next day, we're listening to music, and you brought out your laptop, mm -hmm. and you said. Here's something for ministry, mm -hmm. but I think it suits you better. <laughs> <laughs> and awesome. right there, I, like I go into AFib. <laughs> I go into AFib, and I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I got to play it cool. So all right, all right. So this was written for ministry, but you think it's more like Chemical Straitjacket. All right, let me hear this. <laughs> so it was, uh, I think it was uh, about 60 seconds. It was yeah, the, the loops. Was a riff, yeah, the riffs, the riffs, the loops. I didn't, it wasn't structured yet, um, right. but uh, but I had some killer killer riffs. Oh, really good. So I'm listening to it, and I'm instantly like, hey, 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 <laughs> can't you see what I've become? Hey, hey, and then you know, this is all in my head as I'm listening to it. I'm like, yes, 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 I want it. You know, like, uh, <laughs> and um, it was uh, wasn't it your birthday a week later? It could have been. It was August, so yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> so he he leaves the track. And I did the same thing that I did with Trace, is yeah. I, I parsed it up and laid it out and mapped yeah. it out into, you know, uh, verse, song. chorus, yeah. mm -hmm. bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I wrote the lyrics um, about a sniper, because uh, um, I've read so many books about snipers, I find them fascinating. And um, Not exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, it wasn't what he had in mind. He, he, came out cool. he wanted it to be a love song. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it about a sniper. Well, 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 I actually wrote song. it about a sniper it's getting a hard on while yeah. he pulls the trigger. It is a love song. <laughs> so it is. He makes love, love to his rifle. Love my target. <laughs> loves the pink mist. Yes. He, he loves the sanguine spray. <laughs> <laughs> So I wrote that, I wrote the lyrics, uh, mapped it out, and I think it was, uh, four days later was his birthday, I believe, so uh, three days later, I sent him the demo of what I did with what he gave me. Yeah. And it was like, uh, you know, happy birthday, here's a, here's a song, you know? <laughs> it's your music, it's my vocals. Um, and uh, then, um, you know, we decided it needed to be on the album, because um, it's very strong, the music's excellent. 
and uh, then you put a lot more time into producing it and really fleshing it out and uh, yeah there it is a lot of people uh, Tom Ferrelli says it's yeah. yeah, when I hear it too, it uh, yeah, it kind of hits home like really special um, for some reason. Uh, just because uh, I've never, I don't think, really written a song for somebody like like that before. You know? Yeah, it was an interesting process, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about doing more of that. We are actually True talking about doing more of that. Um, maybe a EP or something. Um, but uh, where JB does the music and I uh, write the lyrics and do the vocals. Because we don't have enough other things. Going. Right, we're not, right. We're not busy no, no. enough. <laughs> Never enough. Never I, enough. I've been sleeping lately, and that sucks. <laughs> so yeah, we need what the to hell? end that. I already gave so you another song to work with. We need to end that. I mean, on the floor over there oh, is yeah. the next straight jacket and handsome abominations list. Right, and, and actually. That brings us to the next question, which is Chemical Straightjacket is not the only band that you're involved in. You also have another project called Handsome Abominations. How did that come together? That's a great question. Um, when, and that involves Ian and Misha, who are both here, and Trace. I'll tell my story and then I think she'd go around the room. But for me, it was this Straightjacket album, Dark Progression, was a bit of an obsession for me. Like, I really dove into it. I wrote and rewrote and rewrote. And I mean, this is my baby. I love this album. But there's a lot of work. Yeah. The material's really dark. And some of it is personal, even though it may not sound personal because I disguise it as something else. So it was really a, a uh, emotional process for me. And when it was done, when the last edit came in and I was like, it's a wrap, I still had some material left. I had some uh, discarded straitjacket songs that just didn't fit straitjacket because they were too groovy, too funky, because that, that's a, a big side of me. I like the filthy groove. You know, I'm a big Thrill Kill fan. I love that A little shit. more sexually charged. Yes. Lords of Topically. Yeah, and, and you know, that yeah. comes out here or there. It comes out in Sacred Rope. It comes out in some of our songs. But that, I, That's I, to me where it started was Sacred Rope. I, I don't let it be a focal point for Straight Jacket because that's not what Straight Jacket is. But I, I had uh, still like five or six sets of lyrics, and I felt like, oh my God, that album's done. I want to fucking party. But I want to musically party. Okay. Like, let, let's throw down some shit and have fun and just get crazy. We had uh, Tufty over in Ireland, who's a great programmer and I've become really good friends with through Facebook. And um, his band is called, well, he's a one-man band called Biohacker. Biohacker yeah. But he has this catalog of songs that are perfectly mapped out and they have verses, choruses, bridges, I mean, not a lyric anywhere. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Multiple albums. And it's all just instrumental. And there's not a lyric anywhere. So I'm driving around town in my truck one day when we're, we, we had just finished Dark Progression. And I'm driving around listening to Biohacker. And I mean, he's such a great guy. He's got a great sense of humor. I knew we could work together. And I'm listening to multiple tracks of his. And um, it's the same thing that I told you earlier today. I'm like, oh my God, I know what lyrics should go here. I, I, I can picture the lyrical structure. And, you know, uh, there is no such thing as love. And, you know, so I write to him. I'm like, I pull over in Branchville, right in front of the church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because why wouldn't it be? And, <laughs> and, and I send him an instant message. And I'm like, Tufty. I'm listening to your shit in my truck. You need vocals, and I want to do it. And I have leftover material. I have straight jacket songs that aren't straight jacket songs, blah, blah, blah. Let's have some fun. 
he instantly writes back whatever in his British way, what, what, Irish way. Irish. Irish. Yes, sorry. Wrong accent. Right, 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 mate. Let's do it right away. You know. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, cool. And that, that was Australian, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Close yeah, enough. Yeah. Whatever. That was like Crocodile um, Dundee. But yeah, he was he yeah. was he was actually at a point where he was burnt out and it was ready to stop doing all music. So it was a uh, was perfect combination. And then you know, of course, at this point with Dark Progression, Ian has become my my partner in the in the studio, which is right here. And uh, you know arrangements and all that, and so I'm like Ian, uh, you know, I know we just finished 14 songs, and we were going to do 15 or 16, and then I was like, you know what? Let's give JB a break because the next song that I was doing was was a reinterpretation of a Who song, which had you know a, a orchestra and strings, and I was like, you know what? All right, it's time to stop. <laughs> so we we tabled that that will resurface on the next album, uh, but we tabled that and we said you know what, let's just have a fucking f- good time. Let's get Misha involved. Uh, then we realized for a live show we needed someone else. I hit up Trace because we had that great rapport from Death of Lucille, and um, got him on board. And we're ready to working on the next album, which you know you you've written a few tracks for, yep. but we recorded eight tracks for Abominations. I think it's eight. I believe, I believe that's eight, the yeah. track listing, yeah. Okay. And um, upon first listen to um, Slave, uh, Cleopatra signed us. Oh, nice. So we that album hasn't come out yet because I think they wanted to let Dark Progression build right. up right, an audience. Right, right. Yeah. And then we piggyback it. Yeah, you don't want to cannibalize right. yourself. And then we say, yeah. hey, you like Dark Progression, here's our side project, that type of thing. Um, so yes, we, we do have the Handsome Abominations project, which is uh, very alive and very well. An album coming out this year on Cleopatra, and we've already written half of the next album. Yep. Um, so that will be definitely around for a while. But yeah, that, that was the uh, idea behind that, right? It was to bluff some steam sure. and have fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and to and we realize little... what we couldn't do in Straight Jacket, because you always wanted to cover Relax. You've been yeah. chirping that in my ear for like two years. Yeah, it's true, because actually I've been wanting to do that for a long time, actually. Um, Trevor Horn, yeah. you know, and it was. Well, it, I know because I remember when I told you we're going to cover Relax. Yeah. You were like, "Be careful, that's a Trevor Horn." Song. <laughs> <laughs> you better do it right. <laughs> I just, I always heard like a darker arrangement to that, and I've never been in a band that could do anything close to what I heard in my head, you know. And I, I thought it was time to update it a bit, you know. So it just seemed like the perfect time to do that, you know. And we had time to kill. Quarantine had just hit. True. And, uh, you know, both we of us had time other, to kill basically. for a while. Yeah, and living close together, you know, we were able to uh, get together frequently and not socially distance properly and, and work on things. And the, Those songs, that was pure debauchery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was... <laughs> Anti-social distance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, was, that was train wreck city, man. Uh, when we were going to work on an abomination right. song... We, we knew oh. we were going to be hurting the next day. <laughs> it, it, it was about getting into that vibe to make it feel like a party. Yeah, well, that's, that's the Therefore, whole thing. It clearly, it wasn't industrial. No, <laughs> it's not at all industrial. If I don't fun, know what it is. If there's fun. Yeah. <laughs> we're not all mopey. And, yeah. There, yeah, there's no hatred, self-hatred, self-loathing. There's no depression. That is, that's a party album. It's because so. of you. You did this to me. <laughs> for us, for us, the black bags under our eyes are because we didn't sleep well. <laughs> All right. Well, you said you wanted to go around the room. You've had your uh, your, your yeah, say, and, and so is Ian and, and Misha. What about you? Uh, how do you feel about the the Handsome Abominations project? It's fun. It's 
a lot of fun. You know, the, the songs are crazy, they're upbeat, they're dancey, and they've made me like this focal point on stage. I have these big boxes that I stand on with lights and I play videos and wear skimpy clothes. And <laughs> um, Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Our mistress. I beat them a little bit sometimes. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun, though, and it's a good side project. It's, um, it's totally different for Kevin, so it's a different change of mental, not stress, but relief, I guess, you know, because straight jacket is just so serious and it's, you know, this, this big thing, and then he goes to Abominations and it's like, woo, whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Anything goes. Let's yeah. party. Anything goes. <laughs> it's just fun. It's really silly and a lot of fun. Well, that's awesome. And then, and then, uh, Craig Trace. You know, you, you, you I guess you got, got kind of got pulled into this a little bit after the fact. Yeah. Uh, it, the ironic thing is, Kevin would send me all the straight jacket songs. He'd be like, "Oh, check this out. Check this out." And then he sent me the title track of the album for Handsome Abominations. I was like, "Oh, I like this song." It's pretty cool, this and that, and he sent. And then he sent me, uh, you know, there is no such thing as love. And I'm like, God, the, the lyrics to me are just like Lords of Acid. I love this because it's just pure lust. And I'm like, this is just awesome. And then I guess after everything with Lucille was recorded and and, and you know he had most of the dark progression done with, he sent me an email, and I don't check my email very much. And he sent me a text. He's, Check your email. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Dude, I sent and, you an email. Why didn't you write back yet? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, all right, cool. So I checked my email on command. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you, you've had 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, they don't alert on my phone. I haven't. Fix that. Oh. <laughs> I thought she was Mistress Misha. You were. You were uh, sorry. Uh, so anyway, I, I look at it and it's like, I want you to be the next abomination. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. Like you're talking Sam. to me? <laughs> wait, you mean the guy behind me or something, right? And so I'm like, holy shit, am I good enough to do this? It's like every every band I've been in before this was, oh, I'm just the bass player. Oh, I'm just this. I'm just this. And finally, it's just like Kevin recognizes, like, well, you did good on that track. I, I want you to be part of this. I need you to live play this for this album and going forward and we'll see what happens with new songs. And um, I was like, damn, this is an honor. Thanks. You know, I don't I don't want to let you down. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, and I, I texted him. I'm like, I'm learning these songs. I'm going to do my best to try to learn these in the next couple weeks. And it was probably within the first week or two. He's like, we're filming the video for, uh, for the title track this weekend. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, I barely even know how to play it yet. He's like, don't worry about it. It's just, you're going to be like lip syncing. I'm like, all right, sounds good to me. So, uh, yeah, he says, make sure your shirt and your, your car is nice and shiny and polished. And um, you're, we're going to be driving that for the intro. I'm like, all right, done. I had a Wednesday off that week. So car got parked in the garage till the end of the week. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we filmed it. And it was uh, been, uh, been a roller coaster ride since then. It's been awesome. Just wait so, we start playing live shows. Oh, I <laughs> fucking can't wait. So. And uh, to, to um, Craig's credit, um, I didn't make a mistake by inviting him because he showed up for the first practice on time <laughs> and knew every fucking song. He could play the songs live on keyboards. He knew the backing vocals. And uh, yeah, it was perfect. Perfect fit. So yeah, the, this little crazy party will continue. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's yeah. awesome. 
And 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 as you said, all of the, the you know the handsome abominations is more of a more debaucherous and more party like than the music of Chemical Straitjacket. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, there's nothing serious on uh, handsome abominations. It is all just goofy, fun, filth. Yeah. Um, one of the things that happened actually, um, what spawned another thing that spawned abominations. Not to get too far into the weeds, but Ian and I. Uh, we wanted to do, we knew that between Wretched Things and Dark Progression, there was a big space of time. So I wanted to do some remixes. So we shopped out a couple remixes to people that we love uh, their work. But the, I wanted to do Love and Cactus, which I thought were the most underrated songs from Wretched Things, and I wanted to do them really groovy. And my favorite part of programming is bass lines. I love programming bass lines so we don't have a bass player obviously right right in chemical straight jacket it's all usually me on a synth sometimes it's jb filling in if i didn't put in something good enough um occasionally it's mike on a real bass guitar but 90 percent of our bass lines are me on a synthesizer when we did remix we did love and cactus uh, me and ian i really got into making these funky filthy grooves um and i was like i want to do more of this like but I know it's not a straight jacket. So it, it allowed me that outlet too. Doing handsome abominations, I could do these dancey uh, grooves and, and filthy. I mean, it, it's just dirty music. You, you need a shower after you listen <laughs> to that album. It was clearly a different thing. Yeah. It was, it, there was definitely a line between the two that it just wasn't going to be something we were going to do as kind of a straight jacket. Right. And, and not to uh, emulate Jorgensen. But it, it kind of reminds me of, you have ministry, which is very serious, and you put a lot of work into, and then you fucking goof around on Revolting Cox. Yeah, kind of a release, and um, yeah. also uh, a lot of songs, you know, that he writes, uh, he just writes, and so, you know, it might not turn out that it's really meant for ministry, but that's okay, because he's got all these other projects, and um, the first time I met Al was in early in 91. We were rehearsing in Chicago with Killing Joke and um, it was very cold and Raven and I were out and he goes, hey, let's go visit Al. So we went over to Chicago Talks. I had met Chris Connolly, Bill Rieflin, Paul Barker, Daniel Martin. Um, the only people I hadn't met really, I knew William Tucker from the Jersey days. Um, uh, Martin had brought him in. Uh, so really, the only people I really hadn't met was Mikey and Al. So Raven said, hey, let's uh, go over and hang out with Al. He was uh, at Chicago Tracks, and um, we popped in. And remember, uh, they buzzed us in, and we were stepping over junkies that were just passed out on the floor. <laughs> and, um, you know, something going on over there. I don't know what that is. I'm just yeah. going this way. <laughs> and, uh, we get into the studio, and Al's just running around with his cowboy hat on, yelling at people. The critter was behind the desk. Um, and uh, really, it was just Al. Um, uh, there was a big, tall rack of samplers, and Michael Bolsch was just leaning up against it uh, in Frontline Assembly, just kind of like waiting for something to happen, and uh, introduced uh, myself to him. And, um, and Raven, you know, uh, was just chilling out, and Al was laying down a guitar solo. And uh, the song was called Cracking Up. So this was actually Psalm... Crack, crack. Yeah, this was Psalm sessions. So this was oh, okay. the creation of Psalm 69, but 
Yeah, because I took, I journaled a lot because like these were big exciting things. You know, oh, uh, right. today uh, met Al Jorgensen. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Got up, had coffee, met Al Jorgensen, <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then uh, uh, I wrote down that uh, they were working on this song called "Cracking Up." But yes, it never made it onto Tom '69. It became a, a revolting cock song. But uh, what was funny was that they recorded the guitar solo, and he's like, "Cool." And Critter's like, I don't know if it's in tune, Al. And Al's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you know, I don't think your guitar is in tune. He's like, well, does anybody have a tuner? And um, he's like, there's no tuner in the whole mm -hmm. recording studio. He's like, fuck, what are you going to do? He's like, so, like, I know, we'll call Bill Rieflin. He has perfect pitch. So he calls up Bill Rieflin on the phone in Seattle. Bill's like, hello. I'm like, hey, it's Al. Uh, listen to this track. And it holds up to the speaker, and they play the solo. Is that in tune? Uh, no, well, that's not in tune. It's like, fuck, hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, can't you just put it through a harmonizer? Like, can't you like, fix it in the edit? The only way <laughs> fix it in post. Is you have to tune the guitar <laughs> and, and replay this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got my chance to talk to him, and I'm like, oh, hey. Al, just like, oh, you know, such a huge fan, and you know, I totally fanboyed out on him, I was just like, oh, I just, you know, love your music, and he was like, oh, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, I, 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 it's like other people, I don't know, I, do you want to be on this record? You can be on this next ministry record. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, come down tomorrow, I'm like, okay, you know, I did, and it was more of the same, right. stepping over junkies, and, mm -hmm. um, and uh, him just ranting and raving, I was like, yeah, no, this isn't quite what I had in mind. <laughs> That's funny. Handsome Abominations. How how did you come up with the name? Oh, okay. Um, so awesome. this fellow Steve Thomas Green, he um, runs Ghost Wave Radio in the UK, and we've become very good friends. So he, myself, and Tufty were having this uh, insult fest, as we often do, uh, where we just like rip into each other, you know. And, and um, Tufty posted something, and I wrote something to the effect that I love your music. I think we should work together. You have, you know, really great compositions. You just need lyrics. And Steve chimed in something. Oh, great! The two of you are having sex now. <laughs> and Tufty wrote, "Yes, we're going to have a beautiful baby." And I wrote, "Yes, it'll be a handsome abomination." Oh. And Steve wrote, "Brilliant name for a band." And, <laughs> and Tufty was like, "Yes, I want to play it. You know, I want you to write lyrics for me." And I was like, "Well, then I guess we are." The handsome abominations, aren't we? And that was it. It was oh, done. There you go. Was, uh, one one little string of posts. Hopefully, and, w hopefully one day we can uh, play over in Ireland with him. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to get over there and meet both him and Steve. Yeah. And uh, as a, as a quick side note, Steve he was getting a bit tired doing Ghost Wave Radio, so uh, Chemical Straightjacket bought half of the station, and um, we're going to go to a twenty four seven format. It's going to be on nonstop. And we're going to do a bunch of you know, shows, and uh, it's going to be exciting. We're going to launch that in April. Yeah, f April Fool's right. Day. Yes, April well, 1st. There isn't some guy down in Georgia with a band called Handsome Abomination. <laughs> not to drop any right. vowels or syllables or anything. Yes. <laughs> have to lose the vowels again. Yes. <laughs> we'll lose the consonants. Yes. Yes. Oh my vowels. God! Could you imagine? <laughs> if it is just vowels. <laughs> oh yeah. It'd be like oh, I. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be so soft. It'd be like like a gooey, wet piece of cake. Well, Can't even pronounce it. <laughs> it's gelatinous. <laughs> Dyslexia. Uh, <laughs> like the it's the stuff you wipe up off the bed after a fun night. Um, <laughs> I don't know, that's called semen. 
all the mixture. The mixture of all the fluids. Get us back right, well, at, at, that, at this point, we are at the signature question, which is where can we find your music? No, which is how do you feel? How do you feel about the current state of the music industry, where fans would rather illegally download or subscribe to services such as Spotify instead of buying your music because they feel that bands make all their money at shows, which hasn't been a thing for the last year because coronavirus. Uh, I'll try to keep it uh, concise um, and quick, but it's hard to. So the thing that shocked me the most when I got back into music, because I only did it recently, um, was the uh, messages that I would get on various platforms, whether it was Instagram or Facebook, of people saying, where can I get your music for free? They would actually say that. It seems very insulting. Douche. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what? It, it's just the culture. Right. It, it is the way it is now. You know, Where can I download it? Where can I listen to it? I want it for free. And I was shocked at first because we offered up our debut at $4. Mm. $4 on camp. And I said, you know what? Our debut is cheaper than a mocha latte or whatever the fuck they sell at Starbucks. Because that shit pisses me off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I hate... I, I can't walk up to a Starbucks and go, give me a black coffee. I have to say, give me a... And if they tell me I need to order a vente or anything like that, then I go, no, 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 no. This is America. I'm not learning a foreign language. It's a oh, fucking Give me coffee. a large coffee. Give me a black coffee. Regular. Give yes. me a coffee, light and sweet. Uh, all right, so I, uh, I, 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 I don't like that. And that's actually in our song, Texas. Or, or the, I don't um, want a latte. Right. Uh, I feel so much better. Uh, or that, like, you might be playing a show at a local venue, 10 other bands, and, you know, like, oh, yeah, there's like a $5 cover. $5 to see 10 bands. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> 10 bands who have worked their asses off with all this equipment. Who Go have out the parking lot straight out the floor. <laughs> and you can't, you can't pony up 10 bucks to, for a ticket at the door. Uh, actually, we, we have a friend. He is part of the music industry, and he's become a good friend of Straight Jacket. But every time we play, he asks me if he could be on the guest list because he don't doesn't want to pay at the door. And I mean, that's just—I'm the opposite. I want to buy your CD. I want to buy your shirt. Yeah, I want to help Kev, you. Kev, I got a—I got a question. The next Abomination show, can I get a comp ticket? <laughs> well, you you are going to be the roadie. Man. We'll think that. <laughs> I, I can I can move stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the 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 truth is, yeah, it's it's sad that music has become devalued, just as mo- most art has, because of uh, internet and easy access. But the flip side is, you have to embrace it. Yeah. You have to, uh, like I said earlier, you either uh, change or you disappear. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Restaurant say, you know, how can I get a free meal or, you know, like walk, yeah. walk in and not expect to pay? You know what I mean? Like, or go yeah. to if go to the hardware easy. store and buy a whole bunch of shit and be like, you know, like, you know, can I just have this for free? I mean, it's like, what's so special about music that, you know, People think we don't work, or they think, oh, we do it because we want to be rock stars, or we love love, love to do it. Or, you know, I don't understand. I mean, well, how uh, can you be a rock star if nobody <laughs> pays you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is. It. We, we can lament the situation, and we should, and we do often. All of us here in this room talk about it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, your, your hard work, and, and I'm not complaining because I've only started doing this recently as a hobby. Right. Right. I didn't devote my life to it. I didn't study it. I didn't work tirelessly at it, right? For me, this is a hobby because I built my career yeah. and I was able to come back to this, which I'm very, very happy about. How'd you jump the line? 
hard work. Well, wow, that's I mean, a thing? How did we yeah. get to this point where in the 90s, I mean, the average CD cost eighteen ninety nine, mm -hmm. And uh, we found out later that really to produce that CD was relatively cheap. A few dollars, right? Maybe $4. Uh, this CD is well, just under $4. That, well, that, and that's a, that's a lot. That's high quality. That's a 16-page um, book. It's yeah. a beautiful CD. Um, and so... Holding uh, up a copy of the new Chemical Straight Jacket album, Dark Progression, by the way. Yeah, so, sorry, yeah, no, there's no... Uh, so there's then... Okay, so... You need to tell all your viewers. The artist would make a dollar that they would have to split not only amongst all the band members who had publishing, but even often 20% right off the top to their management Manager, company. Yeah. So yeah, so they're looking at, at cents on the copy and then the stores, like I said, selling it for eighteen ninety nine, and I'm like, where's this other 14 or $15 going? You know, the artist gets a buck. The, 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 the cost of making it was $4. So, you know, um, do you mean to tell me that these retailers you know, are making all that extra profit? I don't think so, you know, because a lot of them went out of business, right? right. Um, so it must have been going to the record labels. But uh, there was, at one point, a class action lawsuit aimed at the music industry for price gouging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Universal Music Group uh, was like, oh, well, you know, hey, maybe we can sell them for thirteen ninety nine, you know, to avoid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, everything dropped, mm -hmm. like, just like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, of course, the artist still got... So, so the bottom line is the artist has always been raped, yeah. basically. And yeah. somebody somewhere was making a lot of money. And there's a really famous story about David Bowie at one point in his career realizing he had no money, you know. Um, mm -hmm. He had, like... 30 bucks in his pocket or something and he was like what man i've got all these people who work for me and i've made all these hit records and um what's going on here and he took a deep hard look at his finances and realized that he really didn't need all of these lawyers and managers and and handlers and things and uh um, suckers yeah it did a he sold his publishing for like i think 800 million dollars or something like mm. that and uh took charge of his uh enterprise so it's basically uh meet meet the new boss same well as that the old seems boss. that seems to be a thing right now i i was reading recently about there's a lawsuit between chris cornell's widow and the rest of the members of soundgarden about trying to sell the publishing to Soundgarden. I think they settled that. Oh, did they? they? Like just settled that. Okay. Because yeah. I just saw that. I was like, and she, you know, she's trying to buy it from them, and they're trying to sell. They're, they're trying to buy her share, and it's a whole fucking thing that seems to be going on more lately. Because because although no one is buying music, people seem to be buying up the catalogs of bands that may make money. Yeah, and because some bands aren't making money now because yeah, they can't tour. All Bob Dylan just sold his entire catalog in publishing. I don't remember what the figure was. Uh, Somebody bought it. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I want to say like. Um, it's like millions of dollars. Well, like thirty million or something like that. Who oh, would no. pay? Oh my god. Well, you know what? You know what? As long as his voice is on it, it's probably good. I love when people cover. Bob Dylan's music. Yes. I love when Bob Dylan's not doing when Bob Dylan's music. he is not music. involved, his music is awesome. Yeah. A great writer. <laughs> I feel that way writer. about some bands that, that I may not name out loud because it might I'm get me crucified. But yeah. there, there are covers of bands that I like way better than the bands. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but back to the, uh, the current state of the music industry. So, um, yeah, I, I showed you earlier before you started recording that uh, in one week, the uh, Dark Progression has had uh, almost 11,000 streams 
on Spotify. Right. And that that equals a um, dollar fifty. <laughs> um, that much? Probably not. Actually, it's probably a dollar twenty-five. Um, even pay the electricity. You, it's not uh, even enough to buy a latte. <laughs> uh, not even a small. And it's latte. definitely not minimum wage. At least not in the U.S. Maybe in China. No. <laughs> the amount of hours that would It's pushing it even in China. But again, this yeah. is a hobby for me. My sadness is for the young artist, the yeah. young oh, yeah. who's starting and doesn't have. You know, I've been a pharmacist for decades. Yeah, like Billy Eilish. I I'm feel fine. so bad for her. You know. <laughs> I don't know who she is. That's a she? Is it a she? I'm guessing she's broody. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, for, for somebody who doesn't have capital to invest, because the only way you uh, promote your music is by spending money. Right. And uh-huh. in the past, I mean, I, I read articles. I, I think it was Marcy Playground. They had a song, oh. Closing Time. Is yeah, that them? That was, no, that was um, no. Super no. Sonic? Sega Mega... It was not Mar- Marcy Playground was Sex and Candy. They had sex and oh, candy. okay, yes, yeah, it was, was Sex them. and Candy. Yep. The the record company spent uh, one and a half million dollars to get that song played on the radio. Wow. They payola to the radio stations to get it played. Yeah, and that's the way and everything see, works. Now. And then it drills into your head, and you have Stockholm syndrome, and you can't help but think, <laughs> think, Plus, I radio. sex and candy. <laughs> uh, see, you know, but if you don't have resources to invest into promoting yourself. You'll never. I mean, yeah. no. You you could write a great song. You could be Nirvana, and and if somebody's not backing you, if you don't have promotion, it's like it's old see, school vaudeville now. Uh, see, I was gonna say, I remember your old band, Sufferance. You, uh, when we talked about this, when I talked to you, yeah. you had such a following among our friend group that that me and our friend Shiz actually drove up to Poughkeepsie to WRV with your CD. And gave it to the front desk and then called into their request show and said, play the song. We don't have that. Yeah, you do. I just dropped it off. <laughs> yeah. And then they played it, and then they didn't play it again because they, I believe they criticized the production of the EP, but like we were able to get that done. That, that is called <laughs> well, The problem was they played, the they played the track, first track, which, which, which had like a... the longest damn intro, yeah. and the guitarist insisted on having that being the first track on the album because that was his favorite song. Well, you never listen guitar, to guitar, 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 guitar. Never. Yeah, <laughs> guitar, guitar. Now, All right. um, how do you feel, in addition to the, the current state of the music industry, how do you feel about how the entertainment industry as a whole has adapted to not being able to have live shows during COVID? I know Straight Jacket took part in a live stream for New Year's Eve, for example. We did. That was the one and only live stream. We won't do that again. Not that it was bad it's just not the same as playing live you know like i like to have an audience i like to feed off people even when we when we play to 30 people which has happened a couple of times you feel that energy coming oh, yeah. back and, and you you convert them your mission that night is to convert them into fans and you work towards it over a 45 minute period and you win them. you don't do that in a live stream there's no connection the stream is not, yeah I, I don't know who's watching us who's not watching us i, I just i you know maybe i'm old school but i, I don't care for live streaming it's one thing if you're sitting there with a computer next to you reading their comments but if you're performing you can't do that no and you know i can't i can't make eye contact with you i can't demand that you watch me you can't interact at all right Uh, so uh live streaming is definitely not for us or i should say not for me i'm not sure I, i don't think ian liked it either it was all right it was uh Basically, like a practice, a rehearsal. Yes. Except we, except we had a handful of friends here. Right. You know, we we. Uh, I would do it. You know, we, I mean, we, like, we had um, a little mini New Year's Eve party for that event, and and it worked out okay that time. 
Yeah, I, I would do it, you know, with false icons. Um, I would, uh, because typically you don't have a whole lot of people at our shows, and um, I would just like to get it out there and, and just, you know, be able to see it. Uh, but, yeah, the the fact that it didn't sound uh, like like full, you know, that, you know, that that is a valid point. But, yeah, sure, I totally understand it. But No, I, I um, do understand mm -hmm. it. I just, as a consumer of music, as a fan, mm -hmm. I like to be, like, I like to feel the bass. Yeah. I like to see the artist in front of me and... It, it doesn't come through on a, a, a laptop screen. or something. Yeah, a laptop, yeah. right. Because yeah. you know they don't have a subwoofer hooked mm -hmm. up. You know, all the you effort that you put it. into making it sound perfect yeah, is not yeah. coming through on someone's laptop. I mean, unless they're wearing headphones, good quality headphones or something. Yeah, which is right. Anybody. Most people aren't when they're sitting at their desktop. Right, which I could speak to actually earlier today. I was listening to some music on my computer while I was doing prep for the interview with JB that we did earlier. And I was listening to some, some music that I had gotten recently, and between the fact that it was a, a download versus like a rip from the CD, and then it wasn't a great headset, it sounded like garbage. And I know that it yeah. doesn't sound like that because I've heard the songs on the radio, and they sound better than what I was listening to today, so i gotta, I got to figure that out. Yeah, so uh, quick answer, not a fan of live streaming. I uh, don't want to do it again, and um, I've never watched anyone else's. Okay, fair enough. I don't intend to. Now, the last time that we hung out, we had a conversation about vinyl that I wanted to revisit. I don't remember it. Okay, well, no, no, no. Uh, when we were here for the, not okay, two Rock times ago that we hung out, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. we had a conversation about vinyl that I wanted to revisit. I have personally never understood why, on one hand, music sales are down drastically, but there's also been a renewed demand for artists to release their new albums on vinyl. What are your thoughts? Okay, so I'm telling you right now that Dark Progression is coming out on vinyl. Oh, it is. Okay. Well, it that is. is a change All from right. the last time we had this talk. Yes, it is a change. And um, last weekend, we had a band dinner at Mike's house, the guitarist, and we discussed our plans for the future, and vinyl was approved, and it's being paid for, so it's happening. Okay. There will be dark progression on vinyl, 100%. Okay. Personally, I'm not involved in it, but that's fine. I'm, I'm thrilled that it's happening. Okay. I'm going to send this question to someone in the room who actually does collect vinyl and ask her why she buys vinyl and why she enjoys listening to it. It's uh, Sandy Dancher, who Chemical Straightjacket refers to as the catalyst. Yes. Okay. The catalyst. What's your answer? So how do you why feel you vinyl? about vinyl? It's the only way I love to listen to music. If I'm not in a car and we're listening to music, it's at home, on the turntable, on vinyl. It's... What is it that you like about it? Is it the, the ritual of putting that big it's everything. disc on? It's, it's everything. I okay. love the jackets. I love the vinyl. I love the putting art. it on. Awesome. Everything. And then listening to it. It's what I grew up listening to. Okay. I grew up listening to CDs or MP3s. <laughs> grew up listening to analog music on vinyl. It's the warmth. It just sounds so much better. Even when it cracks. I love the sound of it. I don't know. I can probably add something the, the, to it The aesthetic, as well. yeah. And, um, you know, when I first bought into a CD player, it was a little late in the game, like 88 maybe. They were quite expensive at first. And, um, and the idea was that I already had <clears throat> a lot of really good records. So my theory, too, was that uh, initially CDs uh, were mostly just like mainstream and pop 
stuff. Like I'm not going to find my obscure fad gadget record on CD. Well, of course, eventually you, you actually could. Right, right, right. And um, as I would go into record stores, um, the uh, vinyl section seemed to get smaller and smaller, and the CD section got bigger and bigger. And one day I walked in, and lo and behold, I'm like, where's the vinyl? There wasn't any. And right, I was right. like, because yeah. I never thought that they were going to just completely do away with vinyl. Yeah. I just thought that CDs, you know, would be an alternative. So it was really quite a moment. So yeah, I finally sucked it up and, and got a CD player and bought a, bought a CD. And um, I mean, I was really impressed with the clarity. There's no tape noise. You know, it didn't have the, the kind of crackling and the and the popping of the uh, that you would hear on, on a vinyl or the dropping of the groove or, or anything like that. But it didn't take long for me to go like, where is it? There's something missing. The ambiance um, is not well, there. Well, uh, it wasn't as warm. We uh, hear stuff on vinyl that yeah, sometimes we never even yeah. heard when we listen to um, the same track on a CD. Uh, yeah, mm. it's not as warm and uh, dynamic, and it's a digital representation. It's actually not an accurate, real uh, representation of the music, whereas a vinyl... Um, is a waveform taken from the direct master recording and transferred onto a piece of vinyl. And so you're here really hearing the actual sound of the original recording, but a CD digitizes it. It's a 16-bit uh, 44.1 uh, sampling rate. So if you were to look at it, you know, um, close up, it wouldn't look like a nice smooth waveform. It would be like steps. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's 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 a it's a facsimile um, of the original music. And I remember Neil Young uh, from the beginning was a very strong advocate uh, against CD technology, saying the same thing that uh, the vinyl sounded better. Turns out that a lot of it had to do with um, that vinyl's expensive. Mm. It's a petroleum product. Right, um, right. So yeah, um, CDs um, were way cheaper. They were smaller, more compact. Yeah, and um, the cool thing about vinyl, too, was that you could actually see the artwork, and um, some of them opened up, and um, some of them had the lyrics, and, and, and you didn't need a microscope to be able to read the read the print, you know, and, well, you couldn't roll a joint, you know. <laughs> um, Break up that, and then, that binding. And then by the time you, you, you try to open it up with all the... The theft protection stuff, you end up breaking the little tabs off, or they're already broken. You pull the shrink wrap off, and yeah. the whole thing falls on the floor, and yeah. the, little, the little tabs have already been broken off. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it was just so unesthetic compared to, you know, that, that vinyl and, and uh, dropping it on. And, um, and and just goes to show that it's it's back uh, with a vengeance. Well, that's a, yeah, that's the thing that I've noticed is that recently, like I said, as demand for, for music in general seems to dwindle, you can go into Best Buy, you can go into Target, and they have a section of vinyl, and it's really hard to find CDs. Um, although Best Buy tends to have them in like a clearance bin off to the fucking side somewhere. But that seems to be... If well, nobody has a CD player anymore. Well, right, right, right. <laughs> You going to Best Buy? <laughs> I occasionally. And computers have That's done true. away That's with, the thing. with, with I, ROM drives. I just so. bought. If you I buy just a car right now. It doesn't have a. CD I just bought a new computer, and I had to buy a separate yeah. mm-hmm. optical drive mm-hmm. because it, they don't come yeah. in the tower anymore. We tried to give away CDs with false icons. You know, they bought a T-shirt. Hey, here I have a CD. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? Coaster. Yeah. Coaster.
I mean, I will say that I still buy I still buy CDs like crazy. Okay, I mean, what, what, boomer. Okay, what? no, they don't they don't realize uh, Gen I'm X not happened. Nearly I know. I'm just saying. Uh, that's dad their, is a boomer. Yeah, they, that's their answer. I'm, they I'm they don't remember Gen X. <laughs> but that's that's I have ninety um, percent of my life is in a storage unit right now. But I have so many fucking CDs, uh, and I do appreciate that looking around this room. Kevin, you also have very many CDs. Oh yeah, no, I, I always, <laughs> I always buy the CD. Um, I, I might listen to it. I might uh, listen to it on iTunes or Spotify, and then if there's a song that I like a lot, then I just purchase it. And um, you know, I go to I go to Bandcamp because artists know that that's where artists go to help other artists. One time at Bandcamp. <laughs> <laughs> So, as we mentioned before, you, you recently released a new album for Chemical Street Jacket, but you can't play any shows to support it due to COVID restrictions. Well, uh, you already said you're not doing any live stream shows, um, so are you doing anything else to promote the, the release of the album? Or Yes, um, we're doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Okay. We are um, we're contacting various FM radio stations. I haven't this interview. That's true. That's we're doing fair this enough. interview and other interviews like this. Uh, we are doing a lot of promotion that you just can't see. Yeah. Which is why, shockingly and, and beautifully, uh, we are uh, within one week of release. We're at number forty-one on the national metal chart. That's based on FM radio play. Oh wow. That's because we are pushing and we're calling and we're we're doing everything we can to promote this album because we really believe in it. And that the metal scene has embraced us and the hard rock scene has embraced us. That's because the industrial people hate us. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know industrial it, parentheses. But we weren't sure, you know, if, if we'd be welcome like anywhere else. Uh, you know, we, we thought maybe we were on a little island all alone. Quotation marks. Um, but, I, but I have to say, hard rock and metal, both in the UK and in the, the US, has embraced us. We've been on countless podcasts and radio shows. And to see us on FM radio to the point where we rank number four, 41 nationally is unbelievable. Now I would ask, are there any, because the last that I had heard, I don't listen to very much radio these days, but there's not really much that I'm aware of in the way of rock radio in this area. Is there any stations that have picked you guys up around in this area? This area? Uh, probably the only one is uh, Wendy at, uh, shit, I can't remember the, but it, yes, there, there is one rock radio. Um, it's a very small station. Okay. No, in this area, there's not a lot of rock radio. But we are, uh, there's stations in Buffalo oh, that yeah, play yeah. us. There are stations in Chicago that play us. Uh, we're getting play in Texas. We actually get well, a you report. You made a song for them. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. They don't like it. <laughs> yeah, if they don't like it, we're in we're trouble. In trouble yeah. But uh, <laughs> the truth is, um, every week we get a listing of every radio station that plays every one of our songs. And every time they play it. And um, it is, it, we are being played nationwide on FM radio. All right. So, other than the impending release of the Handsome Abominations album that we mentioned earlier, what's next for you and your bands? Uh, I know you said you're working on already the next Handsome Abominations, even though the first and, one and the next Chemical Straight Jacket. We uh, on the floor over there is a big sheet of paper. At least six. Yeah, I think I stepped on it a couple jacket. times. I'm you, you sorry. Did, and that's fine. That's all right. That's that's how we work here. We just throw shit on the floor. Um, <laughs> but I think we have five or six songs uh, in the works for Straight Jacket, five or six songs in the works for Abominations. Mm -hmm. We're doing a cover of uh, a Paul Mould punk song. Uh, Straight Jacket is doing that. 
Um, we're going to do a split EP where, I mean, this hardcore punk guy, Paul Mauld, I don't know if you know him, we're, we're covering one of his songs in straight jacket style, and he's going to cover one of our songs in punk style. Oh, cool. So that's going to be cool. cool. It's going to be a split EP, a one-off. And, you know, I don't know if it'll happen, but earlier today, uh, John uh, had proposed that he and I uh, do a few songs together. So that might happen. I don't know what it'll be called. I don't know any of the details, but, you know, it's, uh, it's in its germination Infancy. phase yes yes so there'll probably be a little project there but yeah all these things are going to uh keep moving forward and producing new stuff absolutely all right fantastic well that's all i've got Fan for you today fucking i want testicle. want to want to thank you for having me over to your to your headquarters and thank you for your time all right Thanks, man. thank you well we cubed the cows paid the growing bulls stacked some brush and now we're going to goliath goliath
And from the album Dark Progression, that was Chemical Straitjacket with Texas. I want to thank everybody for being on the show. Kevin, Ian, Craig, John, Misha, Sandy. It was so awesome to, to hang out with everybody. Like I said at the beginning of the show, it was so nice to be able to do this in person for the first time since 2019. To be able to see some people. I know that shit's still not going great in the world with, with the, the virus and whatnot, but it was just nice to see some people face to face. You can follow Chemical Straitjacket and Handsome Abominations on social media. For Chemical Straitjacket, you can find them on Facebook and Twitter at Chemical Straitjacket with no vowels and an eight in the middle of jacket, straitjacket. And on Twitter at Chemical underscore straitjacket. Again, no vowels, eight in the middle of straitjacket. For Handsome Abominations, you can find them on Instagram at Handsome Abominations. And for whatever reason on Facebook, it doesn't look like they have like a... It's weird. It doesn't have like a... It's not just at Handsome Abominations. It looks like it's Handsome-Abominations-11011967348. Not sure what that's about, but I would just search Handsome Abominations. And when you see the Facebook page that shows Kevin and Ian and Misha and Trace, you know that that's the right one. Uh, you can also follow J Bunny's Music Hub on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, as I said in a recent episode, I'm, I'm actively working on figuring out things for the Patreon, so keep an eye there. Patreon, I've never been clear on how to pronounce that, but in any event, that's there. I'm coming up with stuff for that. Uh, also, if, if you believe in supporting music like I do by buying it, then make sure to follow Industry Embers at Industry Embers on Facebook and Twitter, and tweet or post your music purchases with the hashtag BuyMusic, B-U-Y, or it's BuyMusic, B-Y-E. In addition to buying music, if you're interested in the new Chemical Straight Jacket album, I was given some copies to give away, so we're going to do something with that. Uh, what I'd like is uh, anybody that is interested, I've got a few, co- I've got four copies that I can give away of the new Chemical Straight Jacket album, Dark Progression, and uh, I just want you to comment on this post on Facebook, because you could be listening to this podcast anywhere, but comment on the post for this episode on my Facebook page and say, what do I want you to say? Ah, fuck, just say something about wanting the CD. Uh, But you have to follow my page, J Bunny's Music Hub, on Facebook, and it would probably be uh, a good idea to be following Chemical Straitjacket as well. So meet those criteria, and you can get yourself a copy of the CD. As for what's going on for the future of this show, you might have heard in the conversation in this episode some mentions of conversations with John Bechtel and with Craig Niebuhr, a.k.a. Trace. Uh, I've recorded episodes with them as well, so that's going to be the next couple weeks. Next next week will be the episode with John Bechtel, where we dive deep into his career as a musician and a producer. You know all of the the bands that he's been in, and as as you I'm sure you heard just from the the bits that he had uh, on this episode, it's going to get real in depth, and it's going to be a good one. The episode the following week is going to be with Craig. We talk about how I. He and I became friends, discovering his band that he had at the time and his his journey through music. And then, actually, I have another episode unrelated to these that's also already recorded, ready to be released, with Donald Carpenter from the formerly of Submerged and I Empire, currently singing for 
this new band called Blisskrieg with former members of Tantric and Days of the New. So that one is is going to be kind of got a good starting to build a backlog of shit to come out soon, which is great. Not not to have a backlog, but to have content on the way to know that it's coming and be able to tell you guys about it because it's already done. Instead of saying, "Well, I got some stuff that you know I can't tell you about," but you know this stuff's done already. So next uh, next three weeks, new episodes of J Bunny's Music Hub and more to come because there's other emails out there other stuff going on uh, another interview that is probably going to occur in mid-march and other stuff pending email responses so a lot going on loving it so i'm going to leave you guys today with another song from chemical straitjackets album dark progression once again thinking about it with the with the social media stuff make sure you get no vowels in chemical straitjacket they don't like vowels there's no vowels in the name of the album either but from dark progression or you know without vowels dark progression <laughs> i'm just having fun uh this song is called wrecking machine until next time guys mm-hmm.